0: The dawn of civilization, Primitive. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs... The most civilised caveman I have ever seen. Aww. look who's come out of his cave.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is James and Brenner from Cave Dweller. Again, Matt is not with us for time zone differences, but we have Jem from Australian band Dead with us today. And he's going to tell us a little bit about an album that I released earlier this year, uh, the Australian music scene, and a bunch of other topics. So welcome aboard, man.
2: G'day. Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. Happy to have you here. So basically, for anyone who doesn't know these guys, they're a bit of an institution in Australia. Uh, they have an extensive catalogue. and They've worked with pretty much all the big bands in the country. Jim, you make up half the band. Uh, you're a two-piece act. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you guys are and sort of how you came to be?
2: Yeah, well, so... Uh, we just turned 10 um, sometime this month. Um, not that there was anything we could do to really um, celebrate that. Uh, but that, So we've been doing it 10 years. as the first year ever that we haven't been touring. And we played for a few years before that in a three-piece uh, together called Fangs Of with Mikey from, I don't know if you remember, the Brisbane band Brain Resin. Um, No, I don't think I know those guys. But uh, so, yeah, we we had a band together before dead. And then like every two piece I've ever been in, you get left with who's who's the most dedicated and you just go, fuck it. Let's can let's keep going. Yeah. Um, So there was never really a plan to be a band, if that makes sense. It was sort of just that we were aware that the two of us wanted a lot. We, we, We were asking a lot you know, of anyone that would play with us as far as commitment and and what you get back for that. So we just went, fuck it. I actually didn't even know that Jace could play bass, honestly, (laughs) and I I was (laughs) sceptical, which sounds so stupid. (laughs) I was sceptical whether he could because I'd only seen him play guitar. Anyway, we just, it was the first band I think where I formed where I thought I don't really care what it sounds like or what happens. We just know that we work well together and we'll have fun, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it, we've just let it be what it what it wants to be. We, we both have a lot of ideas and um, have kind of not necessarily short attention spans, but I suppose high ambitions. So, yeah, we're just so far... There's very little that, any, that either of us would say no to, you know, as far as trying something out.
1: I know that you guys, you're not just partners in Dead. You, you also run We Empty Rooms together. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I started that in 2005, so uh, a little while before I met Jace, and that's just mainly been a vehicle for, well, particularly recently because Dead is so active, it's mainly serves just to release... The, the music that I'm putting out, but then, you know, I've done some stuff with the Hard Ons and nunchucker Superfly and Creston um, uh, Spears from Harvey Milk. It's kind of just, you know, like I try not to put out too much stuff because I'm just aware of how much energy it takes and I don't necessarily have that much. You often have the enthusiasm, but you don't have the time. But every now and then there's stuff where I'm just like, fuck, man, I can't. That record's just going to sit there and no one's going to release it. Or, um, or in the case of the Hard Ons, we just have a good working relationship where they know that I'll get the job done. I know that they'll sell every last record. So that's kind of, you know, symbiotic. So if anyone who doesn't know the Hard Ons, which probably be a lot of people outside
1: of Australia, that's another fantastic band that you guys should definitely check out. Uh, myself and a lot of my friends are super into those dudes i imagine that they're probably pretty fun to work with just from what i've seen and heard about them
2: uh yeah they're great i mean they're they're both um jace played in a band with them for a while i've played on a few of blackies solo records yeah my old band uh or well, every band i've been in really has done a lot with Nunchucker. that they're, they're sort of other band you know like it's the same members or it's the same two blackie and ray they're really easy to work with they're You know, they're old school. They're from a time before myself, like as far as the industry. They're a little more, I I guess I come from a very, very DIY place. They're um, a little bit more open to collaboration. So they're not, if I put out a record of theirs, they're not over my shoulders checking every last thing I do. They kind of give me a fair bit of free reign, you know. Right. Um, so that's it's fun to do that, and it's really fun to do that with a band where I know I don't have to absolutely work my ass off to sell every last copy, you know. <laughs> like, right I'm, right, I'm more servicing people that I mean, if I put out a hard ons record without fail, you know, there's a couple of hundred people, most of them are in Europe or Australia, who will buy it straight away, and I kind of know them by name. <laughs> and, you know, and because they've toured so much here and, and in Europe particularly, uh, yeah, they've they've got like that same with us. They have that direct contact with their fans, you know. Um, right. And so, yeah, I, I love working with them and, and I always learn something. And they're a bit like us in the sense that they just don't stop, you know. Um, nothing really slows them down. Yeah. You guys have put out quite a bit of music uh, over the years. I had a look just before we came on uh, again through
1: your catalog and there's quite a bit in there. Um, What number release was Raving Drooling for you guys as far as full lengths go?
2: I think it's the ninth. If it just depends, you know what your rules are (laughs) because I guess it's (laughs) kind of like, yeah, I don't know. People don't use the word EP so much anymore. But I would say it's the ninth as far as, yeah, an album that's, you know, had that little bit of extra uh, planning and stuff and right. you know not being a live album or something like that, yeah. Right, right, or like a split or a single or any of that stuff. Yeah. So just before we we talk about raving, drooling,
1: on the topic of what you're talking about, about putting out albums and being picky with what you do, Brendan and I actually read a really interesting post recently from... Brendan, was it the dude who ran Transylvania Tapes that posted that really big
0: status about? It was. Yeah, basically he was saying that when you're a band and you want to constantly just put out vinyl and like don't have any wiggle room, you're basically kind of shooting yourself in the foot by doing so. You know, like with the amount of time and stuff like that you're also putting yourself on a lot of restrictions and whatnot so like where you can put more um content onto like a cd or a tape versus like just only an lp vinyl or like a double disc you know um vinyl which ends up being like more expensive you know and takes more time to make and do and produce so basically you know just like having these bands like that only want to do that like they're they're literally just they're not gonna go anywhere. They're not gonna do anything.
1: Well, that was that was half of it. The other half I was thinking of was what he was talking about with there's a lot of labels out there who are just so enthusiastic to pump out music that they think that if they just put it out people will buy it. And you got all these bands who think because they have music with a couple of downloads on Bandcamp type thing that it's worth a label's time to automatically put out an album of theirs. Right. Um And it kind of came down to the point that, like, you get those labels that just burn out and destroy themselves by being too enthusiastic and kind of signing and putting out any artists that they come across.
2: Yeah, well, you know, we've watched a few friends' labels go through that burnout, and one in particular, really, really excellent label out of Portland, Oregon, that uh, did a release of our second album, Uh, So that they were, and hopefully they'll kind of resurrect, but they uh, are called Aeolian Empire and they also all play or played in a band called Rabbits who were just fucking great, like really, really excellent band. But, you know, sometimes it's just bad luck as well because they had a really bad run of putting out bands that were awesome and pretty active that then very, very quickly in a short period of time of each other all broke up. There's sort of not a lot you can do when that happens, you know, like particularly at the DIY level, like unless you've you've written some sort of contract, I suppose, which you can do it, I suppose, but, yeah, you could write some sort of a contract that says, you know, you have to stay together for the next two years or if not. (laughs) But it just wouldn't happen, you know, like it just – and so that was just really bad luck. And and I honestly, I watched everything, everything about what they did. I absolutely loved and really resonated with, and they put a lot of effort into their promo and they were different about it and creative. And it's just one of those things where at that level, that sort of music, particularly heavy underground music, it really relies on touring to promote it because we don't have a lot of going on this podcast is it's not, what am I trying to say? When you don't quite fit into a scene, you know, um, right. or a sound, you do have a lot less options as far as um, promoting what you do. And, right. yeah, and I'm sort of inclined to agree with this Transylvania person about vinyl. It's a strange thing. We have kind of sat down every time we make a record thought about how do we want to release it? We've both kind of made it pretty clear to each other that the important thing is the music, not not what medium it's on. But we might have painted ourselves into a corner a bit as well because um, Jace does all the art and I hand screen print most of our covers and we've kind of created a following that predominantly that's how they interact with us. So this latest album we've done tape, CD, and vinyl, and the vinyl just like absolutely kills everything else as far as how people buy our music. Right. Know, it probably goes vinyl, then CDs and tapes, and and then downloads are just almost not like we can't even consider that a form of income. It's, it's, it's kind of laughable. Like we, we might sell a thousand LPs of an album and maybe like twelve mm-hmm. downloads.
1: It's wow. interesting. It's pretty I, heartbreaking I
2: mean, too, because to us, we think, fuck, man, the download is the greatest way to just, as a fan, to just buy the music of a DIY band. You know, like
0: mm-hmm.
2: cut out all that risk, cut out all that outlay. And, but, but people, generally speaking, particularly, I think, in our know, demographic and like anyone younger than us, like, you know, um, we've played gigs with a few people, sort of eighteen, nineteen, around here. Those those kids have never; they've only interacted with streaming. Like that—that's what. Right. They, the concept to them of having to pay for music is really like Weird. bizarre. Yeah, and they get that. Like, ah. Uh, Maybe you should like that's a good thing to do, but it's almost like oh you know congratulations to me I'm such a good person I paid for <laughs> one out of five hundred albums that I regularly you know what I mean like it's yeah so you have to sort of work with it and yeah I mean I yeah the vinyl thing is it is crazy um, in the sense that it can cost a lot and 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 also you're you're only one release away from kind of financial ruin as a label. Um, right. But like I said, look we, we keep it. We do fairly low runs. We know our fan base pretty well now and mm-hmm. yeah, we don't we have no interest in making more records than we can actually sell.
0: And right. as, as a rule
2: we don't do that. So we we don't have we don't have boxes of any of any of our albums, you know. We know enough about how it works now that we put it out put a lot of effort into selling it, it sells. And then the day that we put a new record out, it slows right down. You know what I mean? People generally right. don't. People generally buy the new one, you know.
1: And uh, I, I think it's a good idea to do that limited release thing. I actually think that it kind of motivates people a little bit to buy because they don't want to miss out, you know.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, It's I, I really grappled with this stuff when I when i started the label um it's weird i you know there are certain things that are just natural to you you know when i started making music i think i recorded my first album when i was 14 or 15 and there are certain things that you just think particularly when you're young you don't realize that oh this is not what everyone does so you know i learned to play music through improvising with other musicians Um, uh, and I mean I literally learned how to play the drums doing that and that meant you know sometimes playing for six hours straight and not knowing the names of the other people you were playing with and so collaborating has always been a big part of music to me and only recently did I think oh not everyone started that way some people started by like learning covers or something you know and then same when you go to release an album you know the first album we did in my first band you know maybe not everyone now that i think of it but but certainly me and the bass player who were the kind of drivers behind the band you know every little thing was so important you know like what photo is going to go in the package and taking probably several trips to the cd pressing plant you know and kind of really annoying the, the bloke there because we wanted you know you know what I mean? And then it all felt yeah. so important. And then, then we realised, you know, that was when CDs were the thing and minimum was 500, and then we went, oh, shit, we can't actually sell 500. So then the next album we started hand-making our covers because we knew that we could. And this is actually the interesting thing to me. Back in those days, so early 2000s, we were constantly, like, critiqued for hand making our records, like really, basically, like what? It's not even printed properly. It's and we we're like, hang on, we're screaming. <laughs> like we know, we know that this is better printing. It's just not what you're used to. But as soon as the streaming thing became the norm and downloading became the norm and all of that, suddenly, you know, something handmade took on a different value, like and less sort of dodgy DIY and more. Mm-hmm you know, oh, they're little imperfections. So, But I did really grapple with I remember learning early on that, okay, it's a bit of a thing here in the underground to, like, you know, hand number everything. And for some reason I didn't want to do that. So I remember our first few CDs that I released on the label, I just stamped on it and it said limited to around 100 copies because I didn't want to, like, specify what your number was. It's just, it just sounds stupid now. No. But, but, I really grappled with that whole, yeah, there's no with dead, we have no interest in exclusivity for the sake of like we do get quite a few people you know sending us abusive messages or whatever, like, oh, you're being elitist and stuff, and I'm like, Fuck you, uh-huh. like have you handmade a hundred box sets before like <laughs> there <laughs> there is no profit in it, so we make you know as many boxes or as many hand printed covers or whatever as right. as we can be fucked to make and that we know we can sell you know like and there's no point you know doing more than that because then that's just money that we're losing you know um so right. so there's sort of several layers to yeah we did when the covid first hit we did an edition of one of our albums we did an edition of 19 because we just knew there'll be 19 people that will buy something that ridiculous from us and um you know we did our uh, lino print um covers and I had a set of stamps you know like a b c to the end and I hand stamped letter by letter <laughs> every song title and that was just one of those things where I was like yeah 19 is enough of that i don't want to fucking do that again like <laughs> I've, I've lost in, i've lost interest you know like that, and that's how art works so you know right Jace is a, a genuine artist. He's actually, you know, got a degree in it. I'm a kind wow. of... Um, yeah, your covers uh, are sweet. Yeah, thanks. And and he, yeah, he knows what he's doing. You know, again, when I first met him, I thought oh he just kind of likes drawing cartoons. And then a few years ago, we were on tour in Europe, and he made this sort of like impressionist drawing of where we were staying the night. And I just was like, shit, I didn't know you actually knew how to do all that stuff. Um, But (laughs) he kind of, you know, prefers that more comic style. Uh, But, yeah, so both of us having the kind of brain that's, you know, inclined towards art, I suppose, is you get that little, yeah, that rush when you have an idea, you execute it, and then after that, you know, you want to move on to the next thing. Um, right. So that's what we tend to do. I really like all the promotion and all of that is all me. When I say it's all me, I mean, Jace might make a film clip or, you know, if I ask him to do something, he'll do it. But as far as the business side of it, um, that's all down to me. And I'm constantly kind of grappling between, I just want to make music. I don't really want to have to sell it, but if I don't put any effort into selling it, then, we won't uh, have as much opportunities to, to make another record. So now I kind of divvy it up into time. I just say, all right, I'm going to spend five days where I don't go to work and I do spend it on promo. And that's what it's going to cost us, you know, like, that's what it's going to cost me. I should say, I'm going to lose five days of employment and um, I'm going to put all of that into promo. And, and then after that, I, you know, have to kind of, Call it quits. I can't just keep, you know, because it obviously it doesn't, it's not profitable for us.
1: That's and did wild. I see that you signed something with Forbidden Place Records?
2: Yeah, they've just released a tape, or that they did the tape of the album, and they are going to do a CD version of Raving Drawling as well. It's awesome, man. Yeah. That's yeah, a big record. Those company. guys are really cool. I think.
0: I think they put out a lot of quality stuff.
2: Oh, cool. That's So I actually discovered them through. Uh, do you know the podcast uh, Undetermined? No. So they're out of um, Kansas City and Missouri, maybe. Anyway, and I just did a podcast with them and, and asked them about labels in that area because it's sort of an area we haven't ever hit when we tour. We kind of tend to go around in a bit of a ring uh, in the States, that is. And, uh, yeah, anyway, they mentioned them and they were – they were super enthusiastic and they've been the only label I think I've ever worked with that just um just paid us <laughs> that's awesome
1: <laughs> did you uh did you deal with Kale? Uh, Brugge- uh, I think it's pronounced
2: Bruggerman? yes
1: yeah yeah he's a nice dude
2: uh... yeah so there's I forget where one of them lives in um Salt Lake City and one of them's in like Iowa okay and Yeah, like, you know, for us, we're pretty realistic when we work with a label where, I mean, I I don't know, it's it's funny that I think the music industry is constantly like struggling to not like like everyone in the industry kind of thinks that something that worked 10 years ago is still going to work, you know, I think increasingly, that is not the case in the sense that I think increasingly things can change really quickly. I think this this year kind of proved that to some extent, um. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and um, yeah, so you know, I I put a little bit of time, not too much, because I I know it's not likely to be fruitful. But I tend to send our stuff out to labels that I think might be able to um, uh, kind of reach help us reach a bigger audience. And by and large, um, you know, you don't hear back, or they just say no thanks. And the weirder thing that I've noticed over the last few years is labels that I write to won't write back, don't have any interest, but they actually buy our fucking album off me. And I'm like, Jesus, dude, I would have just given it to you if you just answered your fucking email. Like, you know, Um, (laughs) and and you didn't even have to put the record out. You could have just, you know, replied to me and given given me something, you know. And that to me kind of sums up being in a band like Dead, you know, in 2020 where like music is increasingly splitting up into these tiny subgenres, none of which we can fit into and the labels seem to increasingly, you know, service those those genres rather than service, you know, the outsiders. And so, yeah, when, when we deal with a label like Forbidden Place, um, you know, at that size, I'm pretty upfront, I just say, look, don't rip us off, and if you find us ten new fans, like that's a win to us. We're not under any right. illusion that you, you know, that you're going to suddenly, you know, help us explode and become, you know, uh, huge or anything. But we're right. more sort of focused on keeping contact with the fans that we have. And I guess now that it's been ten years, it's like, oh shit, man. Some of these people have, they've really come on this journey with us like they've we've, we've done some weird shit and they've supported all of it so
1: yeah i get where you're coming from with that because i mean we you probably seen from our side, we deal with a lot of really different music like our span is pretty huge and um, we've covered quite a few bands that are in the same situation as you where they don't really fit into any one category and uh they all seem to have the same issue that you guys do just finding a label uh or a promo company even sometimes that will suit their sound and what they're trying to do with the band so I, I get that it's a it's a issue in the industry for bands that really don't fit into any niche genre.
2: Yeah, it's funny that you should say promo as well because you would think, um, you know, finding a publicist or something wouldn't be that hard. But to you know, to be fair, the Australian publicists I have to give them credit for all being honest and not just taking our money. But every mm-hmm. publicist in Australia I've ever written to particularly if we're like looking at applying for grants and stuff, and then I think, oh, okay, if we get the grant, which we never do, but, you know, um, if we do, you know, then we use a publicist. Um, Every Australian publicist I've ever written to has just gone, yeah, no way. Like we know who you are (laughs) (laughs) and it's not not worth, you know, you're just going to waste your money because basically we're old enough now that everyone knows a few things. One is that we're not young. So that's that box, you know. That's the that's the the first thing that's important these days. Mm-hmm. And there's no mystery. Like, is in they know that we're not willing to pay for content, so it's not even worth trying. They're, they're just like, <laughs> we know who you are, and we know that you're kind of a pain in the ass. So <laughs> don't yeah, don't bother because you won't get anywhere here. Whereas overseas, you know. Ironically, I'm talking to Australian. I know, but overseas, there, there's a little more scope, you know. But Australia is, you know, it's a small place as far as population, and it's still pretty um, uh, old school about. Yeah, I just don't think there's as much uh, of this kind of thing, this kind of independent thing that you're doing.
1: Yeah, you and I had a chat about that. Um, have they really outside of the radio stations. Pretty much there's not that much in Australia as far as music review and interviews and all that type of thing goes.
2: No, there's like been a couple, I think, like the one the silver lining or whatever to the COVID stuff, like we, we lost, we cancelled our US tour and we cancelled like 20 Australian dates and um, that was pretty heartbreaking because you put a lot of effort into organising that. But the sort of one silver lining was then I got left with time where I went, all right, I'm going to put more into the kind of online promotion than, than we normally do because we, what we normally do is just play shows and just sell albums at shows and keep it that way and uh, uh, realise, shit, you know, we can't play a single show now for per- perhaps years. So there are, I, th- I think, a few more Aussie ones opened up, you know, because I guess a lot of people are in the same position where they had a bit more time.
1: Well, that's that's how that's how we started too. We just started with the COVID because we had time on our hands, and like I've always wanted to do this, and we kind of just yeah. did it, and, and it kind of worked. Yeah, well, there you go. So, yeah. so there's
2: been a little bit more of it, but yeah, the Australian thing is generally, again, I reckon it's usually about ten years out of date, and you just we we're just very pragmatic, and we go we we can't we can't justify three hundred dollars for an ad in your paper, like who, who, who reads the fucking paper anymore anyway, but <laughs> right. But say you were a bigger band, like that is charging $30 per ticket. Um, and mm. you know, and you are generally playing to 300 or more people, then you might say, Oh yeah, $300 for an ad that that's actually worth it. That's if we sell an extra 10 tickets, then it pays itself. It pays itself yeah. But for us, we're looking at shows where we're, under pressure to keep it to ten bucks or fifteen max, and you know we're playing hundred person bench It just sort of the the maths of it. You go, hang on, we'd need like a fair few extra people just to justify the ad. And it's just so hard to. You always think, oh, that could be spent on, oh, that could be spent on something so much cooler. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's a day <laughs> in the studio. That's you know, like I think we can put this to better use. So that's just always right. always been our approach, and we've watched other bands do the more standard approach, and it works for them for a short while. It works to them until they stop until right. they stop feeding that system and it's just not sustainable. Right. they just basically I always think of you know we're, it's probably no surprise we're big fans of the band big business, and one oh, yeah, yeah. and one of their albums. Good. I can't remember where it was. One of their albums just has written on it projecting an image of success. And that to me is like so many Australian bands. It's just what they do for as long as they can afford it, you know? I just have to say
1: while we're talking about them, how if you know the track Lonely Lyle? Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love that song, man. That is such a good song. Yeah, I
2: love it when he gets all... um, You know, like uh, Les Miserables, sort of. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Yeah, it's
0: a solid track. They were uh, opening for uh, Sleep last year, and then I ended up um, not able to go to the show. And I was like, oh, my God, it's in New York. It's, like, really not far away from me. Like, I could probably make this happen. And then so much work stuff, and I just, I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, it would have been such a cool show to
2: see them do. Have you seen them play? I haven't seen them. Yeah. No, not live. Oh, no, they're they're just awesome. We, we've played yeah. with them a few times. Yeah, they are. They are an absolute. Just like it's just like being caught in a in a storm of thunder. You know, <laughs> like they they're... manage to be really <laughs> articulate, but just so powerful. Yeah,
1: I actually remember when I reviewed your album. I don't know it was months ago now, but. I did sort of, I definitely saw the influence that you got, they they had on you guys um, with their music. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I mean, they, um, their first album is on the same label as as us in the US, uh, Wantage USA. And there's a, oh, yeah. yeah, So that label, you know, going back to sort of label stuff, that label definitely was an influence on me because I reckon I discovered that label around the time I started We Empty Rooms and kind of felt okay. a kinship in their sense of humour and, and you know, there's a thing, I I was doing stuff DIY at such a young age, I had no idea that the term DIY existed and I remember. But you were living. Yeah, here. and I remember being sort of 18, 19 or something and, and my band at the time, you know, Tommy kind of came and told me, hey, this term DIY exists. And we just pissed ourselves laughing because we're like, who else, <laughs> who else would do it? Like, what, what do they think? They're fucking special because they did it themselves. Like, there's no there's one no else <laughs> to do it. Like, and um, so then I, you know, learned that, okay, there is this whole DIY punk world. And I also learned how uptight it can be and how many fucking rules there can be. And, you know, I learned about, yeah, having, uh, you know, rules written on the toilet doors of punk spaces about how to behave. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, um, we've got to do better than this. You know, like if if, if, we, <laughs> if we need to tell people not to be pricks, you know, like then I think we've lost them anyway. You know, if someone's a prick, they're... <laughs> A little note asking them not to be racist isn't going to stop them, you know. Um, <laughs> so, I'm going trivial. off the tangent here. Oh yeah, and so then with WANTED USA, I, I sort of realised, ah, oh, okay, they've got a similar sort of cynical sense of humour to to me, and I kind of it's just a different it's just a different version of that. Okay, it had some ties to the DIY thing, which we do as well but it was also more about celebrating being an individual and and just doing your own thing. You know, I I think that's what really bummed me out about discovering the DIY scene is I was like, Oh, okay. So what this means is you do it yourself, but you you all do it the same way. You know, there's a sort of image to it, you know? And I was like, well, we don't want to do that. We want to, you know, we want to use more colors than black and white, you know? And we want we want to put right. care into our packaging because we we care. So yeah. Anyway, so with the big business thing, it's totally like um, there is definitely you know uh, some kinship there as far as taking the piss out of you know metal and punk a bit, but but in a in a loving way, like in in that it, it's genuinely you know we have a, a real love of heavy music, mm-hmm. but uh, we don't need to be all doom and gloom about it you know
0: yeah you guys have some right. uh really cool uh song titles and whatnot you know like i love it <laughs> thanks so i was um listening to uh thunder thunder <laughs> and um i was just like going through and i was like wait this song is awesome like what is this and then i was like oh all right these guys have got some humor here you know like i love it it's just so funny it like I was, I think one of my favorite songs off that one was uh, "Wherever You Go, We Will Catch You." It was good. I was like, I was listening to it, and I was like, "Whoa, okay." And that's when I just started kind of paying attention to all the uh, the names on all the uh, songs, you know.
2: Song. Well, yeah, that was a good example for me of a song. Like, uh, I'm just trying to think. Like, I I, I kind of reckon that song was something that Jace just. We we tend to write collaboratively to an extent although more and more it's also just like Jace is such a good writer and writes so much. And I'm often too busy doing the business side of things that now sometimes I just go, ah, he can just finish the song. I know it'll be good. Like, what well, I don't even need to, <laughs> but I think that was a good example. Of that song of, you know, he kind of just came to the rehearsal room with that written as this is what is going to happen structurally. And, uh, you know, I suppose I just started playing a beat. I don't really know how that bit came into it, but just that that that's sort of not an approach, you know, pre playing with Jace, all the music I played was always, I guess we would just improvise for hours and hours and then pull out the bits that we liked and then kind of tape together some weird song that didn't really have a, you know, a super King Crimson influenced and stuff. It didn't really have a, a point to it necessarily. It was just, things that we liked putting next to each other. But with Jace, you know, he, he has more of that pop sensibility or that, you know, the simplicity of, yeah, this is a song. There's just there's going to be this riff and then I'm going to whistle this melody <laughs> and then that's it. And that was a lot of fun, you know? So yeah, I, I really enjoy that part uh, of dead too, that we can be like, I think a lot of people focus on, geez, you make a lot of noise for two people and we do, but I actually really love the other extreme as well, that we can be really quiet if we want.
1: Was that sort of the same with uh, Nunchucka Superfly? Is that just something you did, like that was just fun for you two?
2: Oh, we're not in that band. So that that is the band which is Blackie and Ray from Hard Ons. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You should uh, – if you're a Hard Ons fan, you know, I guarantee you, you'll like Nunchucka. So, yeah, no, uh, we're not in them. Um
1: Oh no no! Uh, oh, the track. track, sorry,
2: from was, your. Uh, I was like, this is the getting No 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 no! <laughs> sorry, so what was the question? What about Nunchucker?
1: <laughs> no, it's uh, it's like the fourth track on the latest album, yeah. um, Nunchucker Superfly. Yeah, did you guys have fun playing that? Oh uh, yeah, was yeah was it's asking? um,
2: you know, sometimes when we're writing stuff. I mean, we named it that, sorry, because we're. More and more, we just realise when we're writing a song, we're like, "This is just a tribute to Vaz, isn't it?" Or this is just a tribute to, you know, whoever. Or sometimes that's just how it helps me approach the song. Like we're writing a song at the moment that, for me, is our fucking champs song. I don't think it is for Jace, but for me, I'm just trying to play the way you know, sort of, yeah. What what would they do? And I think when we were writing Nunchucker Superfly, yeah, it was sort of like our version of. Uh, we're always really in but we're both really interested in the idea of heavy metal from the kind of motorhead perspective you know like where everything sounds like it might fall apart at any minute um and you're sort of just keeping it under control That 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 to me is i think to both of us that's what excites us about metal as opposed to the kind of other extreme of metal, it's like that, you know, diligent sounds like someone's just typing on a keyboard, you know, um, that doesn't excite mm. us. So, yeah, sorry, and I always forget because we tend to have our working titles and then the titles once the album comes out and we never remember We never remember right, what the right. real names are. And sometimes <laughs> when we're writing set lists, I have to force get... <laughs> Jace into learning the new name. I'm like, come on, you know, we called it right. that, so let's start using the real name.
1: Right, right. You gave me like a heart attack for a second. I was like, what? what? You're not in the <laughs> band.
2: <laughs> no, it's just funny because there's been a few times where we've done interviews too and you're on air, like on the radio. And, and sometimes you've caught up for like 20 minutes before you're on air and then you're on air and, and it's then that they choose to try and work out who you are and what you do and, and yeah are you fucking serious we just had 20 minutes where you could have asked me all yeah questions. you're making us both look <laughs> foolish now yeah yeah that's pretty But awkward. that song was so much fun because we we knew we wanted a solo and jace felt a bit like ah, i've kind of done enough guitar on the album and yeah we asked uh creston uh if he wanted to do it and he said yes and um that was a really, you know, big deal for me. And then what wow. was even weirder was, you know, he asked for direction. Like he, he said, "You got to give me the instructions," and that felt really strange because I was like, wow. "Dude, you're like, honestly, one of my favorite guitarists of all time. <laughs> How am I supposed to?" But it was a really good lesson. I was like, "All right, no, that's that's what that's what a good band does." Is
0: yeah, he wants your input. You know, he doesn't want to you know, make make a mistake or, like, try and take it over, you know. He's helping you out, you know. Yeah, and it
2: was heaps of fun, and he did it. He, I was really, really happy because basically he said, all right, you know, like, give me – he basically said, give me an hour and I'll send it back to you, you know, and don't use it if it's not right or whatever. And I really loved it. He just did a one-take thing. You know, I was a bit worried. Sometimes when you ask for guest stuff, they they think they've got to overdo it, and they send you back, like, you know three tracks or yeah it was it was just great it was it just kind of was the little cherry on top and it's it's something that we try to in our albums we're aware that if the whole album is just the two of us it might get a little bit you know, a little bit monotonous so it's nice to pepper it with a few guests
1: I fully agree fully agree on that one I always really appreciate some good uh, cameos and like guest appearances and albums uh, Brendan do you know are you familiar with uh, Kristen Spears
0: I don't think so so
1: do you know the band Harvey Milk?
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, he's from Harvey Milk.
2: Ah, okay. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, and he's, you know, look, I, as far as, again, like I was saying, when, when I first started playing music, it was only ever collaborating. So to me, that's pretty natural. You know, the, the fun thing about it for us is just giving, getting someone else's perspective and trusting them. Like, I, very rarely have we... Tried to have a guest on something and then gone, ah, oh, it's, it's actually not working. You know, we generally just right. go with people that we know we like what they do and, and there's a mutual respect. You know, it's like there's only one guest actually I've ever asked that like declined, and that was um, Bliss Blood from oh, yeah. Paintings. I, I don't know if you, Paintings were like in the. Mm. No, A yeah, really, know. really great band, um, and they had some stuff out on the label Trance Syndicate, so I guess some, like, crossover there with, like, uh, butthole surfers and, and yeah, oh, yeah. sort of like okay. an industrial, I don't know what you call them, industrial kind of weirdo poppy grunge band or something. Anyway, and I, and I really wanted her to sing on one of our songs on the second album. And she said no, and, but it was actually worked out for the best because I was like, fuck, actually there's, there's an Australian woman we can use that's even better, and we did. Mm-hmm. We used Linda J from um, Little Ugly Girls, and what was I getting at? Um, uh, yeah, you know, had Bliss Blood done it, that might have been the only time that I'm sort of glad that she said no because the thing for us is any guests we work with, they're very familiar with what we do. Uh, I think it would be different, yeah, if you were just randomly asking someone because, you know, you wanted their name on your record or something, and then they just give you something really inappropriate. I think that that does happen, though.
1: Um, You can kind of tell when that does happen on an album.
2: Yeah, well, look, you know, we worked out pretty early on with stuff like that that it doesn't, at least for us, it doesn't equate to, there's no point in doing shit for that reason. You know, in in fact, right. going back to the band nunchucker Superfly, they are the greatest example of that to me. In the sense that you have the same two songwriters in two different bands, and one, you know, being the Hard-ons, can consistently sell out venues, mm-hmm. and the other struggles to. And it's like it's the same fucking people. So it's the sound that sells. Yeah, and it's it's the brand. Like the the Hard-ons used to have a t-shirt. Um, that just said, not a, not a band, just a brand, you know, <laughs> they've proven it. It's like if they released anything under the name hard on will sell better than anything under the name nunchucker, like they know that. And they, they work with it. You know, they're not, they're not shitty about it. They're, you know, they're, they're sort of glass half full kind of people.
1: It's a, uh, it's a bit, it's a bit weird about that. Uh, like in the Australian scene, another example of that, I think is, you know, tropical yeah. foxtap. Yeah. You know how the, the lead singers. Yeah. Also and on the, the bass player. Yeah. Yeah, and the best player, yeah. Um, it's kind of weird how you talk to a lot of people these days who are, like, I guess maybe newer newer in the punk scene or whatever, but they're like, yeah, I love Tropical Fox Storm. You're like, oh, well, yeah, do you like the drones too? Yeah, like, well, the drones? they're
2: actually, it's funny you should bring them up because they're one of the few examples I can think of that have successfully, like, when the drones got as big as they did, I didn't expect them to. I guess they used to be a lot noisier when I um, first started watching them, and they kind of, I right. suppose, as they became less uh, aggressive sound wise then they became more popular but they were still right. pretty you know at times like pretty harsh on stage but yeah to to their credit um gaz and uh fee they've they've made two mm. of the biggest fucking bands in the country <laughs> like that that's not an accident then you know like to 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 have one band, you know, i.e. the drones, like, all right, cool, yeah, a bit of luck played into that, good on you. But to then go, all right, we're going to basically stop doing that and form another one and to have it get, you know, basically right. just as big and in a different sort of demographic, um, that, that's a super rarity because it seems mostly right. what happens is if you're in a band as big as the drones and you stop and do something else, it's never going to be as big. Right. But, you know, yeah, good on them. Like, they've done very well.
1: They really have. They've actually done pretty well overseas as well. So I've met some people who actually know who they are outside of Australia. I've heard that. and
2: I've heard that they they do well in the States. And I don't know if you have this experience, maybe even more so in Brisbane because it's such a, um, you know, smaller city. But, like, it's always sort of a bit amusing, you know, when an Australian band is treated like... There's some sort of royalty or something. And you're like, that's just the dude that serves me beers at that. (laughs) You know, like, you know what I mean? It doesn't doesn't really matter how big they are. Like, I think I just, I ended up somewhere on a, you know, bus or something once with one of the members of Powderfinger or whatever. And I was like, I'm aware that you're big, but to me, you're just a yobbo. Like, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) <laughs> you're just a dude that plays in a band, and I get it that you got big, but you're not a you're not a rock star. You're that guy yeah. still. Yeah,
1: you, you know who that happened to me with. Um, oh, yeah, Tim yeah, Parrot? they're good
2: friends. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's awesome.
1: Um, but back when they really first started up, before they brought out their first yeah. album, bite your head off. Um, I saw them in a really small concert in Toowoomba. And, um, I was having like a, I don't know, a long, yeah. long chat with Matthew, yeah. like Matt Matthew Young. Um, and he was just such a like nice down to earth dude, just sitting at the merch table, just talking to people. And then they just blew up and now everyone overseas knows exactly who they are. I'm I tell people like, yeah, man, I met him at a small gig and he sold me like a CD and stuff. They're like,
2: what? Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is. Yeah. And he's just still younging to me from, he used to play in a band called stiff meat. Um, And I might be paraphrasing it wrong, but I'm pretty sure they had a song called Your Car's a Piece of Shit and I Just Fucked Your Girlfriend. (laughs) And I I remember asking someone about it, and they are like, oh, yeah, that one of them said, you know, in a drunken moment to someone else, no, no, sorry, it's not I Just Fucked Your Girlfriend, it's Your Car's a Piece piece of Shit and I Want to Fuck Your Girlfriend. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's one. anyway and um and then he he was also in a band <laughs> called pillow who were awesome and pillow was like a bunch of you know high school mates and then so they've all gone on to be in oh yeah you fuck these bands might not mean anything to the u.s but anyway youngy is a re- re- really good dude and uh the king parrot are one of those examples of like they totally earned that you know like they just went really hard and toured to a lot of places. Um, I mean, it's same deal with oh. us. It's just that we haven't enjoyed the success, but they will They, they will. always go to places that <laughs> other people won't go to. And, and they'd all been in other bands that, you know, um, Slats, the bass player, he was in a band called Cockfight Shootout. We used to play with a bit and, yeah, they've all kind of put in a lot of time and then it's just awesome that it worked out.
1: You know who else is sort of like that as well? Um, I've, I've seen these guys live like seven times or something. I've been seeing them for years, Cycroptic. Those guys blew up.
2: Yeah, okay. So I, I've never been that familiar with them. I think that we might have rehearsed in one of their spaces in Tasmania. I've got to be honest, Cycroptic's always been a band to me that when I think people assume that we know more about the metal scene than we do and I just always nod. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And they're like, fuck, who are, who are they? They just a name it. <laughs> I keep hearing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're kind of coming closer to the end of things. And before we do, we want to give you a chance to sort of talk about Raving Jeweling a bit because it is your latest release. Um, and I was a huge fan of it personally. So um, yeah, sure. do you want to tell us a little bit about the album, uh, maybe about like some of the guests you had on? Uh, what was your favourite yeah, type, well, type thing?
2: We, we always have a lot of music on the go, uh, basically Jace, you know, if you give him a few days, uh, where he's got the time and he's not organizing his family or working too much or whatever, he'll write, you know, a whole batch of songs. And, and when he's in that mode of writing, you can kind of, you can sort of order songs from him. Really. I can just sort of say, Oh, can you write something, you know, a bit, in the vein of, you know, such and such or, and he'll kind of, he'll kind of do it. I tend to do the, I guess, the production, like the producing of our records. And it's just one of those things where it's like, because Jace is doing the bulk of the writing, he's, um, you know, that's where he's like exercising his creativity. And then I get to do a bit of the arranging and the sort of, all right, how's the album going to look? So increasingly we, we don't make our albums just a random collection of whatever songs we've written that year. You know, some songs sit around for, you know, years before they make it to an album. So with, with raving drawing the approach we took, and and again, we always have, we always have things that are just a starting off point and they're not necessarily something that we rigidly have to adhere to, but they're just kind of ways of of us kind of starting our ideas so anyway raving drooling was the point of it was to be our version of a kind of more straight hard out sort of album because we sort of felt oh yeah we've kind of faffed around a bit on the last few albums with interludes and this and that and so this will be the album that's a bit more just meat and potatoes and then somewhere along the way um this might sound stupid but i just started seeing the colors and the colours of the album were the front cover, same colours as on Pink Floyd Animals. So then I sort of started, right? Yeah. So and then I sort of started, started saying to Jace, "All right, that's how I think of this album. This this album is going to be as kind of dark and um, aggressive as that album was, f- you know, for that band." I actually, I've f- told myself I'd never say this on air because I just wanted. People to work it out for themselves, but anyway, some people know because it's super obvious. If you just if you're a Pink Floyd fan, which I grew up being, so raving, drooling was the original title of one of the songs off Animals, um, or, or raving and drooling, right. I should say. Um, and I always loved right. that. I ah, oh, that's sort of, and I, I almost felt like it almost sounds like the sort of name that. Roger Waters comes up with, and then the rest of the band say, oh, no, that's a bit too dark, mate. Uh-huh. So anyway, that, that was our approach <laughs> to the album is we were like, all right, we're going to select the songs that are more. We always, this is our example. I don't know why because they're not necessarily our favorite band. I mean, I love them to bits, but we always think of Unsane. You know, Unsane make great records. They're, they're sound you can't fault. They're playing, you cannot fault, like they mm-hmm. fucking lay it down so hard. But I always find myself after about six or seven songs of theirs going, oh, man, I think I've had enough, you know, just because they just right. don't really let up. Right. Yeah, Raving Drawling" became an album where basically we decided, look, the first half is definitely going to be just we're not going to, you know, we're not going to faff about so much. We're not going to be so dynamic. And then somewhere on the second album on the second side is almost where we have to do the obligatory dead thing, which is, all right, all those people that we just got on board because we finally did a fucking record without, you know, interludes and stuff. Um, we're going to lose them all now by doing a 13 minute <laughs> you know, kind of ambient piece at the <laughs> end. But Yeah. I don't really know how to explain it. I just, when I know, like I spend a long time with our records deciding on how the track list Mm -hmm. is going to go and then how I'm going to mix it according to what that track list is. And to me, right. To me, like all our albums, it's, it's an album, like it's, it's conceived as, as, as a single album and, whenever we're mixing you know whoever we're mixing with the studio engineer always sort of says things like you know that you know most people aren't going to hear it on a proper stereo and stuff anymore and i'm like i don't care i fuck i just don't care like i i have to make it the way i want to make it and i get it that you know some kid's going to listen to it on his iphone without earphones and go oh it sounds like shit (laughs) yeah on shuffle on shuffle but but for us (laughs) you know it then there's always like you know whenever we put out a record I usually get like a handful of emails from people saying, oh, yeah, you know, I bought the album um, but I haven't listened to it yet because I want to like, you know, sit down at the turntable, you know, with the headphones and just go start to finish. And I'm just like that's so fucking great that that still exists, you know. So that's how we tend to conceive an album. Having said that, the next album we put out is not in that way. But, yeah, so that's – and then getting the guests was – Yeah, Preston. Well, actually, fuck, I'll give you the whole story. Originally, Joe Preston was going to play on the album, and he just ended up having the shittiest year. And um, he, you know, had some people die on him and some other stuff, and the poor dude was really Mm. going through a rough time. So it ended up being like, all right, um, we actually wrote the album. I kind of forgot this. We actually wrote the album knowing that he was going to play guitar on it. So he wrote it to sort of right. suit, you know, his kind of chunky way of playing. And um, then when he wasn't able to do it, uh, Jace just went in and played most of the guitar parts. And so, yeah, that was the other part of it. I forgot about this. It was sort of our version of a power trio record, you know, where the guitar parts were okay. more um, deliberate. And, um, yeah, I don't know, it was just, just a general vibe. I guess because there's only the two of us, it's pretty easy to – get a, get a vibe happening and be on the same page, you know? And I just think of it as, right. I suppose if you think of the band as a triangle or something, there's me and then there's Jace. And then the third member is what happens in the gap between, you know? And that's right. what we both sort of focus on. That's usually the more exciting bit is, oh, what was the thing that neither of us thought was going to happen? And then it went and happened. So uh, yeah. To us, it's our version of a metal album, but we get it, that it's not necessarily some people Mm -hmm. would look at it or hear it and go, it's not a fucking metal album, it's bullshit. (laughs) But to us, that's, (laughs) you know, we love metal. It means a lot to us. Uh, We've grown up listening to, you know, early sort of metal bands and for us, Raving Drooling is our, our tribute, I guess, of that sort of music, whether it be motorhead, deep purple, Slayer, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter. Just anything fucking good. Um, anything that makes you yeah, right. just wanna fucking, you know, kick the table over or whatever. You know you yeah. know what I mean? It's that yeah. <laughs> Someone described it well the other day, you know, like, you know, when a song's so good that you, it makes you late for work. And I remember that when I was in <laughs> school, you know, and I would walk to school And I would stand outside the schoolyard, and the principal would look at me like "fuck you." I know you're late, and I'd be like "fuck you." This song hasn't finished, and I'm not walking in until the song is finished.
0: (laughs) I do that a lot where I'm going places. I like, you know, finishing up a song. You know, I'll check a text message or something real quick, and then I'll be like, "All right, let's keep moving." Yeah, and it's
2: so like to me, you can't ask for more than that. You know, like that. You forget that not everyone has that. You know, for some people, music is just a background thing or whatever for us. It's, um, well for me particularly, I don't know. It's, it's everything, you know, like it's so, it's so intrinsic that you just, you don't, you, just, you have to every now and then stop and think, Oh shit, this isn't, doesn't mean the same thing to everyone as it does to me. But to me, there is like,
1: right. That, bl- that blows my mind though. Like you meet those people, right? And you're like, oh, like, what do you listen to? What's your favorite band or whatever? And they're like, oh, I don't really have a favorite band, you know, whatever's just playing. I'm like, holy shit,
2: yeah, How and you and, exist like that? And the more you get into right? it, the more then people will kind of accuse you of being, oh, you're a snob or you're too picky or something. And it's like, no, it's not that. It's just that it means so much to me now. You know, it's probably like a, mm-hmm. I don't mean to make, it's like a positive version of being addicted to a drug or something where you need the more you go into it, the more you need, you know, like, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I don't know. I I think of songs, you you only had what you could get, you know? So I remember, you know, pre-internet and all that shit, you know, I remember hearing bands like Pearl Jam and thinking, I know we can do better, but I don't know what it is, you know, like, so this is going to have to do, you know? So I I would listen to a Pearl Jam song over and over, but now I don't have to. and and then you discover better and better stuff. And so for me, there's sort of nothing quite like, you know, that it's, I guess it's endorphins, isn't it, that you get when you hear something that like moves you again for the first time. And sometimes I think, Oh shit, it's been months since I've discovered a new band. Am I losing my uh, like enthusiasm? And then you're like, no, nah, no, nah. it comes along and you just go, whoa, shit. No, nah, there it is. <laughs> It just took something, you know, to really blow me
1: away. We, uh, we sometimes post in, like, a bigger groups just as the page type thing and just ask people some general questions, and we find a lot of new bands doing this. We go to something like, um, what was your favourite album of the year type thing or, like, what bands really stood out to you this year that you, you discovered? And, like, you get these people who be like, oh, man, 2020 has been terrible. <laughs> There's no good music this year. I'm like, are you crazy? Are you, crazy? Like,
0: you living under you, a rock?
1: Yeah, I, I you're in an age where there's more music coming out than ever before and you have more ways to access it than ever before. So I think it's more than people having bad taste. I think it's more the fact that people don't know how to find music and don't know what to yeah, look Yeah, and music. That
2: a lot of things that traditionally were done for them. Yeah, so, you know, the, you, you can only work with what you have. So I, I don't I don't tend to dwell on the fact that uh, there are things from the industry that aren't as good as they used to be because there are other things that um you know that we have access to like doing this interview right now with someone on the other side of the world you know in the 90s that would have been um right not really possible but there was also mm-hmm. you know what did exist prior that doesn't exist so much now is i guess, i guess because there were less avenues it meant that you know people didn't have to do as much digging to to find something that really you know, that they liked because you just, you know, you, if you lived in regional Australia, for example, you might have only had two radio stations, you know, and then you just, and then you get lucky. Right, oh, right. There's a weird dude down the street that smokes a lot of pot and, um, you know, mail orders CDs and stuff and he, he's willing to make tapes for it. you got to right. find, I, I think now, I, I don't know, like I, I, yeah, I do meet younger people who, just absolutely gorge themselves on underground music, and I think great—that's still alive. Like they're not, but they also, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I kind of worry that how could they ever focus on any of it because, you know, there's there's literally no limit. So yeah, I right. I'm with you when people say shit like that. Oh, there's no one doing anything good anymore. I just think, well, your failure to put any effort in is not is not on them that's on you yeah, like exactly it's yeah. there <laughs> and if you want it you will be able to find it but you might just have to put in a tiny bit of effort
0: the internet now is like it's it all you have to do is like follow up a page or like you know like rob hammer's page you know like that guy is putting out hundreds of bands like it, this year alone like I, I literally hundreds and hundreds of bands i've met maybe even close to a thousand if you think about it like just so much music. And that's just in like the doom and the kind of metal genre, not including anything else, like psychedelic rock or anything, you know? So it's just a shame that people are just lazy or just stuck in their own ways. You know, like I always say to James, like, you know, if you don't try anything, anything different, you're never going to learn anything new, you know, like those people just get stuck, you know, and they're just going to always be listening to Slayer and Pantera for the rest of their lives. and. (laughs)
2: And And I think, yeah, this is something, it's funny, I think maybe all three of us and definitely Jace too might all be the same in this way. I was a long way into playing music and, I mean, yeah, I'd been playing for probably over 10 years live before I started to get my head around the idea that, oh, not everyone that goes to gigs is obsessed with music because I sort of, Right. I didn't understand why people wanted to go to the gig that everyone was going to. I was like, wouldn't you just want to go to the gig that has the bands that you want to see? Because, you know, that was me. I was like, I got my license maybe two days after I turned 18 and I would fucking, I would finish work and I would drive to wherever it was. I would go and stand at a gig on my own, not drink anything because you got to drive home. I'd be so stoked, you know because uh, I just saw a band I love. And only later did I realise, oh, there's there's other layers to it. For some people it's partly about being social or about, you know, being somewhere they feel comfortable or where they feel welcomed or whatever. And I think the same with music is you have several layers, you know, like a, if you peel an onion or something, you have these core fans that just, it sounds like, you know, us three are the same. All we care about is the music being awesome, you know, <laughs> and we'll put a bit of effort in, but there's a whole right. lot of other fans for for whom um, I guess they're not doing that little bit of extra effort and uh, they do need it more, I'm not going to say spoon-fed, they don't, but they need it more pushed on them and probably now more than ever. Like I, I've got a constant list in my head of like uh, I'm aware that that band that I like put out a record, but I haven't had time to sit down and, you know, like, stream it off Bandcamp or something. And then if I don't hear about it again, it kind of gets replaced by something else, you know? So you almost, you know, you almost need to be reminded right. five or six times. And it's like, if you look back at bands over the years at an underground level or whatever, without fail, every time their best selling record is the one that had the most money put behind it. Like always, you know, band like Melbourne's or something, What's the album everyone knows? It's Houdini. It's the one when they were on a major label, you know? Um, but it's been 20 years since then right. and they've done way better shit. But it hasn't had the same level of push behind it, I suppose. So there is, it's, it's unfortunate right. that, you know, and we've even noticed it at our level. So the more we, the more we, you know, spend time on promoting a record, the more that record will sell. And the less so the less and nothing ever sells itself
0: I think like for me what I've been doing to kind of like listen to new music and whatever I've been doing um you know I, I use bandcamp a lot, and i I just load up my wish list with like all right I gotta listen to this later I gotta do this later you know, and then after I listen to it, I want to keep it on there, I want to like purchase it later or whatever i um I, it just keeps growing and growing and growing, you know like I was like look, looking at my wish list here it's like Thousand (laughs) fifty albums on there you know and like my collection is only like 479 you know and i'm just like oh my gosh you know like i'm following 1311 bands you know um so it's like if i don't add them onto the follow like i got them in the wish list you know what i mean and then like i i'm it's it's wild though but like i keep going back to that wish list and you know it it goes back really far like when i first started band camp you know but they have albums on there that um that are just sitting there waiting to be like listened to or re-listened um you know so people have got to put in the effort man
2: yeah people and do. you you needed something to kind of oh, give you the re like again not necessarily i don't necessarily need this but i think a lot of people it helps to have a story or something you know that make, that kind of pulls you in. Oh, that's the band that, you know, whatever it is. Um, like, uh, what's that band that, what's the bloody film, um, dig?
1: I mean, May, mayhem with, uh, the, 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 uh, movie come out recently that brought a whole lot of new people into, uh, oh, is that that, yeah. I didn't the actually even know that.
2: that a movie had come out. I, but now that,
1: it's ter- It's pretty. It's now pretty I'm realizing why everyone was banging uh, on about it did come out for a period. while.
2: Yeah, okay, that's making sense. Yeah. <laughs> but no, sorry, I was thinking about mm-hmm. that um, movie, Dig. Is it Dig? Yeah, the band, um, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. You know, and, and that. Oh, well, right. It's right, a good right. movie. Like, it, it is. It's cool that someone made it. Um, the band are just fucking brats. Like, I, I can't stand. I cannot stand people that behave that way. Um, And I more so can't stand Mm -hmm. that people that behave that way get the attention of a lot of people, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, and it's sort of like, oh, that's, that's why. um, That's partly why they've been so successful um, is because the guy's an absolute prick, you know, and for some reason people are drawn to that. But anyway, it's the story, isn't it? It's the fact that um, that other band, uh, God, it's such a terrible story, the Danny Warhols, you know. Danny Warhol's being really big, but, but right, they're right. loving this other band, Brian Jonestown Massacre, who aren't so big. And then, so then that becomes, as far as I know, that's why ninety percent of people who know them know them is because someone made a film about them. And again, was that band Anvil? You know, how, how many of us would know them if it weren't yeah. for that film? It's a, it's a great film. You know,
1: it's like uh, there's a there's a movie coming out about Armored Saint. I think. Uh, it was in the near future and they'll probably draw it Yeah, and it's to worth well. having
2: a story. I mean, you would totally, you must be familiar with Blood Duster, yeah? Um Oh yeah. You know, Blood Duster to me are a really good example of um you know, and I actually chat with Fuller, the bass player, a fair bit and, and actually rang him, you know, before we put out this recent album just for like a bit of advice on what do you you know, what do you think we should sort of like I sent it to him and said, Have a listen, you know, what do you, what do you think? you know, we should maybe do as far as promoting it because I've always, Blood Duster have been a band where musically I'm not really that bothered by them one way or another, but I've I've just loved the shit that they've done. Right. For me, the pinnacle was when they made that album that no one could listen to. You know, it was like this is the thing when you play metal, you know, when you play metal, everyone thinks you're dumb, you know, and and, and for some reason, particularly in Australia, we live in this world where if you're all sombre and heartbroken, then that for some reason has more artistic value than if you've got a sense of humour. And I saw it best described, you know, by Tism where, you know, they basically say, we're as good as Nick Cave, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, yeah, I agree, you are. Um, You're just as clever, you put just as much effort in. It's just that you're not as dark, you know. And, and so yeah, there's this thing with metal where people right. think that that people think that we're stupid or that we're cavemen or something, you know. And um, and Blood Duster went and did that project where they made an album, finished it all the way to you know mastering it, listened to it all, decided they were happy with it, pressed it, created a lacquer master, you know, to press the records, and then they scratched the word "cult" into the um, masters so no one can play it. <laughs> And then they destroyed the files. The best thing about it was when, you know, I was reading an interview with Fuller where someone was trying to have a go at him saying, isn't this just a promo, you know, I can't remember how he worded it, isn't this just a like a promotional trick or something? And, uh, (laughs) yeah, publicity stunt. stunt? (laughs) Uh, And Fuller says, Yeah. yeah, and it's a fucking good one because, you know, you've never spoken to us before and now you are. And he basically just calls him on right. and he goes, what isn't part of publicity when you play music? Like everything you do is potentially, unless you want to just exist in a cave and which you can totally do. But if, the day you put your music on right. band camp, you are saying at some level, I would like someone to listen to this, you know? So no one can claim that they're not engaging right. in promoting their music except for maybe, you know, I once met a, a woman on tour who she was a painter, but she also made all this full-on noise music. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, some of this is gnarly, dude. You should, like, put it out. And she's like, nah, like, I, I literally just make that noise when I can't paint. And I got, I got no interest in anyone huh. hearing it. I uh, don't care. Like, it's, it's, it just serves a function. I was like I was like that's pretty cool but anyone else you know if we're releasing stuff we want we want people to hear it at some level. So anyway I just thought that thing you know Blood Duster there right. were making a more artistic statement than most you know, a deeper artistic statement I should say than most in the sense that their whole thing was right you know we've made the record we know we like it it's for us and and fuck you you like we're we're sick of the fact that we don't get to control any of that anymore that you know everyone just you know rips everything off on the net and i just thought it was a cool thing that they did it was like it was about as pure as you can get as far as music even though i know the whole thing's kind of a joke like everything is for them i was like that's great you made a record start to finish and in the end you just made it for you you mm-hmm. know <laughs>
1: And for anyone knows, they could used those tracks at a later date, not saying they would, but
2: no one would ever know. Oh, well, I think, yeah, they, they did actually, on. an EP came out, so you got you got a little bit of that, but not the whole thing. And actually this, this COVID thing has been a good example of that stuff as far as early on, particularly early on when we were like, shit, man, no one knows what's happening and when we'll ever be, you know, we're still not allowed into Melbourne or any other state and um, we certainly can't play a show early on we just decided we will keep playing every week, just the two of us. Like that's actually all that really matters. And that's not all that matters, but that matters enough that we will keep writing albums even if they're just for the two of us, even if we can't, you know, ever get in a recording studio again. Um, and that actually felt really good because right. I was like, fuck, that's what music was in the very beginning, wasn't it? Like when I was 12 years old, that's what I would do. I would play, um, you know 6 hours straight you know every saturday night with a bunch of friends you never thought about having an audience so yeah it's kind of been a weird time for that but it's been good to re-establish that actually this is hugely important you know
1: um i, I actually just saw the time we we normally try to ah, pick around sorry. an hour We've done me. about an hour and a half <laughs> no, <laughs> no problem at all man it's been great chatting um so we might actually have to have you back on sometime yeah. to do another hour and a half sometime. But uh, is there anything you kind of want to put out there before we we uh, close things up?
2: Uh, no, just that, you know, we're working on new stuff. Um, we're really appreciative that th- this has been pretty amazing for us to have to release an album without a single show um, to support it because, you know, we've always basically that's the way that we've supported records is to just go on tour. So it's been pretty amazing um, to see that people have uh, engaged with this album despite, you know, us not being able to get out there and play, and that's felt really good and it's felt like, um, you know, the music industry, at least the underground version of it, is resilient and adaptable and, um, you know, I don't want to, you know don't want to have to bust out the Kleenex or anything you know I'm not you know don't want to get too emotional, but it's it's felt really really great that you know in some ways we're connecting more or just as much as ever, and doing stuff like this means a lot to me because it's like cool we're all still we're all still doing what we can you know in the music world we're not just sitting around wait waiting till things start again, right. You know? So that's it. I just basically want to say thanks to you and and thanks to the you know people around the world that have been engaging with our music um, during this time.
1: Thanks so much for coming on. It's been it's been really good um, chatting with you. Time just flew by. For anyone who hasn't checked them out yet, make sure you go check out Dead. Um, have a look at We Empty Rooms as well, which is the label attached there. There's a lot of great music under there, and it might get you into some more Australian bands if you're not too familiar with the scene. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, I really appreciate it.